Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. On this episode, I'm going to be chatting with my friend and former Lambda Legal colleague, Ethan Rice. Ethan is a senior attorney at Lambda Legal's Fair Courts Project. We're going to be talking about a brief that Lambda Legal, the ACLU, and the ACLU of South Dakota just filed with the Supreme Court in the case of Rines v. Young. The brief argues that anti-gay juror bias, in part, motivated the South Dakota jury's decision to sentence Charles Rines to death. Ethan and I will chat a little bit about that and then more broadly about some of the experiences of LGBT people in the court system. Hi, Ethan. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so good to be back in um, so Lambda Legal in your old office. Yeah. Um, I'm still here. <laughs> Ethan and I used to work together quite closely, so this is really nice to be able to talk yeah. to you. Um, wonderful. I did want to add on the brief that um, NCLR, GLAD, and also um, HRC have joined the brief at the Supreme Court. Nice. So shout out to all of the yes. um, our friends in the LGBT advocacy community who've recognized um, the importance of this brief and, and why it's so... Uh, necessary to get this issue before the Supreme Court. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about um, where we are, why this case is important, um, and and how it ended up um, that it came onto your radar, and why you think this is an important issue for the Supreme Court to review. Sure. Uh, so, so really, Lambda Legal has been... Um, you know, working on this case in, in different ways since um, the end of 2017. Um, and in 2017, um, Mr. Rines's attorneys at the um, Federal Defender's Office in, in Pennsylvania and in, in um, North and South Dakota. Um, so there's a, a very large team that works on his that's working on his case. Wow. You know, had reached out to um, Lambda Legal and said, you know, this is what we. That some of the information that we've gotten in from um, juror interviews that they had their investigators do uh, within that last year before that. Um, and we really think it would be so helpful if, if Lambda Legal and LGBT um, rights organizations could get involved in this case, you know, take a look at what we, we have. And so that's what, so Richard um, uh, Sines, who is our a senior attorney here at Lambda Legal and the um, criminal justice and police misconduct strategist um, reached out to myself and we started looking at um, at the case and working with um, his attorneys. So what exactly is the nature of, of Mr. Ryan's appeal? What sure. is it in um, that came to light later in the jury deliberation that's causing that causes us so much concern here? Sure. So so what came to light um, after the public defender's office began representing Mr. Rines was um, that there were significant concerns that the jury discussed his sexual orientation, that they considered his sexual orientation when they were determining what sentence to give him. So at the sentencing phase of his, um, of his trial, the jury had sent a note to the judge and asked a long list of questions about um, what it would be like for for someone to be in prison for life without parole. So they said, we understand what the death penalty means, but what does it mean 
that he would be sentenced to life without parole. And they said, would he be able to get married or have conjugal visits? Would he be able to be around new young and young men in the prison system and be able to you know, talk to them about his crimes? Would, you know, just a general, would he have a cellmate? A general, would he ever be able to, you know, be out at all for work release? A general, like, questions about what life without parole meant, but with a bent towards, will he be able to be around other men in prison if he's sentenced to life without parole? Um, and so, so that was, you know, an issue at the sentencing hearing in 1993. And then in, um, once the public defender w interviewed several of the jurors, um, you know, one of them said there, there was a lot of discussion about homosexuality, this is a quote, um, and there was a lot of disgust among the jurors. And then uh, you know, another said, we knew that um, he would be able to be around men, and since he was gay, that might be something that he would enjoy. That's not an exact quote, but that's the, wow. what they said. Um, so there was a couple of jurors that said, you know, there was a lot of discussion about his, his sexual orientation and that gay men would find it fun to be in prison for life without, with other men. So these are conversations happening where jurors are coming forward much later in the process and talking about what actually went down in the jury deliberation room Correct. Um, when they sent all of these questions to the judge back in 1993. That's right, yes. And this is when, um, in I believe 2016, when the public defender's office, the federal public defenders were um, appointed, they sent their investigators to interview several jurors. And this is, you know, the affidavits from a couple of the jurors were that this was said in the jury room during deliberations. Wow. And so tell us a little bit about, I mean, in general, I think our listeners may be aware that, you know, when juries are deliberating, this is sacrosanct. We don't really um, bring out what juries, uh, jurors discuss in the jury deliberation room. And then once a verdict is final, um, courts are loath to open up a jury verdict and, um, you know, examine why the jury found a particular way. Um, that's usually pretty closed. Um, right. But there have been, at least in very recent Supreme Court history, a case called Pena Rodriguez, where the court did look at opening up a jury verdict when there was evidence of... Um, uh, race discrimination or race bias in deliberations. Can you talk a little bit about Pena Rodriguez and then maybe what that means for a case like this where there's anti-LGBT bias expressed in a jury? Sure. So so in South Dakota, um, just like Colorado, where the Pena Rodriguez um, case came, came from, there was the same... Um, no, what you know, kind of colloquially called the no impeachment rule of the jury, which is very strict, and it says, um, you know, jurors cannot testify as to what um, statements were made during jury deliberations. Um, they can't um, testify as to what um, what uh, in, uh, what was the impetus for their decisions or others' decisions, and they cannot write affidavits, or, or I should say a court can't accept any affidavits even written um, by these jurors as to these things. His, uh, Mr. Rines's attorneys have actually addressed the issue and concern of, um, of bias based on his sexual orientation since day one in his trial. Mm -hmm. um, they already, they, 
they were concerned about it. These were attorneys who were trying to do the right thing for uh, Mr. Rines and um, and insulate uh, him from you know having a jury that had bias um, based on his sexual orientation. Uh, so you mean so, his lawyers at the very beginning, the, when they were trying this case, were um, looking to make sure that they got jurors who could be fair, that they knew that this was involving somebody who was who was gay, mm-hmm. and that they wanted jurors who wouldn't bring bias and discrimination to the to the jury deliberation process at the outset. Sure. So it's kind of different than sometimes what we we have seen. You know, Eric and I, or you and I working together, <laughs> yeah. um, where attorneys don't really think about that or they don't right. pay attention. But even back in 1983, they knew this was coming, this was likely to come in. They were going to know about Mr. Reince's relationships with men, um, and they wanted to see what they could do to, to prevent um, bias. And so they asked the court, even initially, to... Um, order a community survey by an expert and that could help them come up with a juror questionnaire that mm. would um, help them with that. And the court denied that motion, so they did not get that. Oh. And that was something that was the subject of appeal um, in the case in the past as well. Um, but but they did, and they asked the jurors whether they, they did ask the jurors whether they had bias and all of them said, you know, neutral, no, except for one juror who, who she said she thought homosexuality was a sin, but she could put this aside, and she was seated on the jury um, wow. as well. So okay. that did, that happened. Um, but what they couldn't do is, and, and then once they had that note, there was a litigation, you know, the, the, the post-conviction litigation did have um, information about that note and raised anti-gay bias um, as an issue in the past, but they didn't have access to um, interviewing the jurors because they didn't, they knew they would not be able to introduce that evidence based on the rule, and okay. so, and so throughout this, um, until about what two years ago, um, yeah. when Pena Rodriguez was decided. Right before that is when, uh, when the public defenders knew that Pena Rodriguez was going up to the Supreme Court. They okay. had accepted cert. They started interviewing these jurors, um, and that's when they got this detailed information about what was said. Uh, during the during the deliberations, and so mm. once Pena Rodriguez was decided, they filed um, a motion to amend Mr. Um, Rines's uh, initial habeas federal habeas petition. Um, and and Pena Rodriguez, um, can you give us a little bit of the just of the basic gist of what Pena Rodriguez was involving and why this decision? opened up a new avenue for Mr. Rines? Absolutely. Yeah, so so the Peña Rodriguez um, case came out of a criminal proceeding against um, uh, a man of Mexican descent in, in Colorado. And it was a, a sexual misconduct um, case where one of the jurors said during deliberations, um, Mexican men take what they want. I'm sure that he's he's guilty because Mexican men are are generally the ones who commit the, you know, I don't have the exact quotes in front of me, I'm sorry, but, but basically <laughs> it was, I probably do in here. It um, exhibited bias for very, sure. Very, like, distinct bias. And then, and also bias against one of the witnesses in that case um, because the juror said, we can't believe what this witness says, he's an illegal. Oh, wow. So, okay. so there was both bias against the defendant specifically and his uh, witnesses um, 
that were was discussed in and and encouraged you know the jury the other jury members to convict. And then and the so, Supreme Court looked at that so, and said, right. So then the U.S. Supreme Court did take cert, took that up, and what they said was where um, that that he you know had expressed anti-Hispanic bias toward the petitioner and his witness, and that um, when a juror makes that clear statement that indicates that they relied on racial stereotypes or animus to convict a criminal defendant. The Sixth Amendment requires the no impeachment rule give way um, to allow the trial court to hear that evidence of the jury's um, statement and any um, you know, resulting denial of the jury trial guarantee that comes out of, out of that. Wow. And so that's, that was a huge, obviously, groundbreaking case because now the court is saying when you do have clear evidence that a jury used racial stereotypes and bias within the jury deliberations as a part of this, their consideration to convict, um, the, court can, the trial court can now hear that. And wow. it, right. So, so then the next question for us here and right. for certainly uh, Mr. Ryan's attorneys um, is whether that same rule um, established in Pena Rodriguez applies to bias based on sexual orientation. And so um, I'm assuming that the court wasn't explicit about that because that issue wasn't before the court in Pena Rodriguez. But but how can we pull those principles to apply to this this case? Sure. So, so, you know, really what we've done, there's a a few different um, amicus briefs in this case. So certainly Mr. Ryan's is... um, Mr. Rines's legal team is arguing that the same principles should apply to anti-gay, anti-LGBT bias in jury deliberations, um, because while race is, you know, racial discrimination in the United States has a unique history, uh, the outcome for people who are LGBT would be the same, that they are sentenced, and in Mr. Rines's case, to death, in part because of their sexual orientation, and that is Certain, that should certainly be a violation of their Sixth Amendment right to an impartial uh, um, trial and an impartial jury. And um, so our, ours is about um, primarily the, the history and current um, discrimination against LGBT people in the United States and how that history um, relates to the fact that the criminal legal system and the bias that LGBT people have faced there, mm. um, and to, to show that there is this history in um, in our country of anti-LGBT bias, um, some um, explicit legal uh, discrimination, and and that even though there has been significant progress, that we the, you know that in the criminal legal system, LGBT people still face significant um, significant bias. Wow. Um, and then also, you know, um, the NAACP's, L- the LDF has filed a brief, um, an amicus brief in this case as well. Um, and theirs is focused on the fact that racial discrimination has a unique history in the United States, um, that sexual orientation also needs to be protected under these um, under these constitutional protections because it, it also has a history, we also have a history of anti-LGBT bias um, and it's mm-hmm. really important um, that folks are protected um, based on their personal characteristics in the, our criminal legal system. Wow. Um, and then there's also a brief, which I think is interesting from 
um, 47 law professors that, that study criminal uh, law and evidence um, that is urging the court to take this up like they took up um, JEB after the Batson case. And, and JEB so, was what extended right. Batson, which protected um, striking jurors because of their race, right. um, uh, to striking jurors based it's, on their gender. Right. Okay. And so these law professors have put together a brief that says, you know, like you after you after you, Supreme Court, um, <laughs> found that striking jurors based on race in Batson is unconstitutional, you took up JEB and you extended that to say it's also unconstitutional to strike people based on their gender. And here you have said it's you. The no impeachment rule has to give way when there's evidence of racial bias, and you should take this case up to also say. Um, that when there's evidence of anti-LGBT bias, this this rule has to also give way because it also violates the Sixth Amendment. Wow. This is a really fascinating case, and I'm wondering if um, when you're writing a brief and you're thinking about the court... Um, you know, this kind of lines up in a very, in a little bit of a different way than, you know, this isn't a straight sexual orientation type of a case where you're trying to say, well, we don't have Kennedy, so what are we going to do? We're also dealing with um, with impeaching a jury, um, which is, is sacrosanct, as we've mm -hmm. said. We've also talked about this is about the criminal legal system. Um, so the justices' votes may line up a little bit differently. Are you thinking that this stands any kind of a, I guess I shouldn't ask you if this stands any kind of chance because you hope that it does. I do, I do hope that it does. Yeah. I hope that, you know, I think in this case, there's also the procedural issue that's being addressed at the, um, that needs to be addressed by the court. And that procedural issue is whether this, um, whether Mr. Rines's um, motion to amend his initial petition um, is a second or successive petition, which would require um, permission by the circuit court to to move forward, and so that's a that's a difficult issue as wow. well. Um, but there are strong arguments that because it wasn't you know finalized by the Eighth Circuit at the time that he asked to amend it that that it is not a second or successive petition that it is an amendment of his. His um, initial petition, and that the amendment should, you know, that there should be a consideration to allow him to amend it because this really was new information, mm -hmm. one, and it was um, information that before Pena Rodriguez was decided, the South Dakota would not have allowed him right. to present. Um, and so, really, here we're at a place where Mr. Rines has affidavits from jurors that indicate very clearly that his sexual orientation was discussed and considered in some ways, in part in their decision to, to sentence him to death. And he has no way to present that to a court for adjudication at this point. And wow. so we have constitutional protections to ensure that, that bias doesn't infect decisions of jurors when they're um, adjudicating guilt or adjudicating um, the sentencing. And Mr. Ryan's right now has no way to get that to a court unless the Supreme Court says um, procedurally, yes, this is a there are exceptions here and here's why. And that also Pena Rodriguez um, applies to sexual orientation, which, you know, really by any kind of reason, it, it really must apply here as well, because if there is bias <laughs> infecting um, a jury, 
and we can show that, um, you know, attorneys need to be able to present that to a court for, for findings. This is a fascinating case. I wonder this, you know, as a way of just talking very briefly um, at at as we close about the Fair Courts Project and a lot of the work that, you know, we've both been doing, but you continue to do around um, just letting people know the extent to which LGBT people do face disparities and discriminations, not discrimination, not only in the criminal legal system, but also in the court system more broadly. So jurors, judges, um, can you talk yeah. a little bit about some of the experiences of LGBT folks in the court system? Sure, certainly. So I think, you know, that's <laughs> something that we really um, worked a lot on <laughs> and still do. Um, I, I, the brief that we filed that all of, uh, you know, that Lambda Legal and ACLU and um, the other organizations filed talks a lot about in the last section of that brief um, that, that bias based on sexual orientation infects um, our nation's courtrooms and it undermines the integrity of our uh, judicial system. So one thing I would say is, if anyone out there is listening and wants to do more research on this, we would love that. Um, <laughs> but but that there have been findings from several uh, judicial systems have done, um, state-based judicial systems have, have done surveys of court employees and attorneys and court users and that they have all found very high levels of um, folks hearing anti-LGBT talk by others in the courtroom, including judges. Um, Very high percentages of LGBT court employees feeling uncomfortable because of their sexual orientation or gender identity in the court system and, you know, either not feeling like they could be out or, you know, feeling just, you know, concerns generally about... um, what they hear in the court system, and including from judges and from attorneys. Um, I, I talked to somebody uh, recently who is a, you know, a transgender attorney um, who is experiencing bias in the court system when she's representing clients from the other side. And we also know that in Lambda's cases for trans, trans folks, um, that often prosecuting attorneys or you know opposing counsel uh, misgenders transgender people, and we sometimes have to seek you know the action within a lawsuit to ask the court to direct um, opposing counsel to correctly gender our clients at Lambda, um, and that still you know is ongoing. This is 2019, and and that is still an ongoing issue for transgender people who are attorneys, for transgender people who are um, litigants, um, you know, and jurors. And, you know, the other thing that we have worked on a lot, of course, you know, (laughs) is, um, you know, LGBT people as jurors and um, the Smith-Klein case in the Ninth Circuit. And we've also continued to work on that in other cases around the country um, where jurors are struck because of their sexual orientation um, and, and also where judges don't allow attorneys to ask about bias in, initially, um, which is one of, you know, in voir dire, um, which is one of the protections that we're supposed to have in our system to ensure that we don't have biased jurors is to be able to question them and get um, truthful answers about 
where their bias lies. And so th- all of those things are still, you know, major concerns across the country that, that you know, you and I have worked on a lot to address and that, uh, you know, Lambda Legal is continuing to work on. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Ethan, for joining me today to talk about this important case, the important work that you do uh, at the Fair Courts Project to protect um, LGBT people who are in the um, justice system, in the courts. Um, and I know you do a lot of trainings with judges, with court staff, um, yeah. but if folks do experience discrimination in the court system or um, there are attorneys who are facing issues um, either with making sure that the court uh, properly genders their client or um, any kind of discrimination that they can turn to Lambda Legal um, to, to reach out to you and yeah. you're here. Absolutely, yeah. I mean please tell people to contact, you know, our help desk or, or reach out to me, you know, directly so that we can see what we can, we can be helpful with. And, and I, you know, it's really the main focus of this project is to make fair courts, um, make, make courts fair for LGBT people. Great. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Bye-bye.